All right, back doing something I haven't done in months, doing one of my Houston Ron Bar Review interviews with one of my buddies, my friends, two alum, partners, etc. Won't get into everything else. <laughs> Kevin Joseph, KJ, what's up, my man? Hey, man, what's going on? How you been? Been pretty good. Thank you for taking some time out here to, to talk some stuff about yourself and basketball. We'll probably toss in some U of H stuff as well. But uh, for folks who don't know, you are a uh, basketball referee, correct? Indeed. How long? How did you? How did long? How did you get into that? First of all. Well, I um, actually about this is what is two. So about eighteen years ago, I was then a supervisor at the post office over at Dickinson, Texas, and uh, I. Uh, one of the employees that worked there, he was a official, and I just happened to ask him. He was leaving work one day, and I asked him about it, and he told me, uh, you know, who to contact, and I didn't immediately do it. And like, the next season in 2001, I, you know, got the name and number again, which is being in Betty Frank, that was the, the assigning supervisor back then, and actually being just retired probably two years ago, ironically, and he was – he wasn't a, a young man when he retired. He did it for a long time, but uh took it from there, man. Started doing middle school and high school, uh, which is all called sub-varsity, anything below varsity. So, you know, freshman, JV, 7th grade and 8th grade. And did that up until just strictly that along with varsity up until 2010. And then I started my trek up the college ranks. Working in small colleges and JUCOs, D2, D3, and NAIAs, which is the Red River in Texas, Louisiana. Now, the move up to the college ranks, was that promotion? Or was that your choice to try something different? Or how'd that come about? Yeah, well, when you move up, you, you, you are an independent contractor throughout your career. So, and uh, I decided, wanted my ultimate goal to make the NBA. So, uh, I was that was my that was the way would you have to to start that which because you know obviously no shot clocks in Texas basketball in high school Texas basketball rather so I had to go through uh, colleges learn the you know you learn those different rules and then in 2014 after attending a couple of what we call summer camps and clinics which we go in and basically a job interview I got hired in the SWAC which is obviously the Southwest Athletic Conference, the HBCU Conference of the South. And how many games do you do a year? Combined? <laughs> uh, depending on my – combined with – because I still do high school, still do – and along with the college. So combined between uh, 35 and 60 games, depending on if it's a good season and if I have, you know – time and day and besides I still work a full time job while officiating these games and a lot of travel is involved when it comes to the college and when it comes to, you know, doing all the college games and doing division one games obviously. Uh, so between thirty five and sixty games. Sixty I think I did last season, which uh, by the end of February my body was uh worn out, to say the least. So how do you how do you prepare for it, man? A whole lot of uh, exercising, man. <laughs> in between time, 
especially in the summer. We really don't have what we what most people call an off season because uh, when the last game, you probably get a week off to just kind of decompress as far as not mentally thinking about the game. But you gotta you gotta start you know start back getting physically ready because as you can see from the old days, when you look at officials now, the young officials coming in, you see that they have a young, spry look, you know, small waist, you know, make sure you fast enough to get up and down the court because one thing about it, when especially when it comes to college and high school, those kids are the same age every year. We get a year older no matter what. Good point, so, yeah. <laughs> so when we, what we do is, you know, you exercising – Four to four to six days a week, honestly. Uh, be it I run, I run three miles a day at least four times a week, you know, and do other, you know, and that's along with, you know, different workouts that I may uh, add into my repertoire, so to speak. Yeah, you must lift weights something, man, because you got kind of swole all there all, last couple of years, man. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, got to, you know, lifting weights is a, is is a part of it also, because, you know, you. Again, you're dealing with some some pretty big guys, and every now and then you may have to come in between them. I don't break up no fights, but I may stand in between them just to make sure that uh try to keep anything um, unpleasant from occurring. Have you, you put it like that? Right. Have you noticed, in terms of the level of respect toward officials, has it improved, regressed the last few years? It's diminished with the game, meaning with each game that we work, the respect for officials becomes less and less and less. Um, I credit that to, first of all, you know, it's just like a child that's being raised up and they're a reflection of their parents. Well, these children are a reflection of their parents and they're also a reflection of their coaches. And if a coach is one who is blatantly disrespectful to the officials, then the players are also because they're doing what they see. What they see, they are doing what they know, and they they in their mind think that it's okay. So it is just diminished uh, increasingly more and more each day. Which uh, to steal an acronym from uh, good buddy <laughs> Jimmy Hicks. Mm-hmm. Parents going wild. <laughs> PGW. And I've experienced it. Now, I haven't gotten into the physical altercation with anyone and don't plan on it, but I have seen those situations occur. And it, it's just really it's disheartening and it's sad for the game of basketball and for the world in itself because you see that stuff and it's, it's nothing positive that can come out of it. Now, is that just on the high school? Some of balls level, or is it up to uh, you? Seen the lack of respect on the college level too. The college level is a little, a little better now. As I said, I re- referee JUCO games around the state, and we know half the JUCO players are players who, who just can't make the grades. The other half are players who may have a little issue with their discipline and attitude. So in the JUCO ranks, it's kind of more prevalent. When as you go up to the next rank, which is I would say you know NAI D three and D two, they're a little less because again it's just it's not just the talent level, 
but it's also because of a disciplinary act or just the way a person, you know, carries themselves is why you play on certain levels. And when you get to the Division One level, it's not something that is very prevalent. So it, it's not very, as prevalent as it is in the lower level. So as you get up, but you, but as as those saying go also, um, Chris, there's always one in the crowd. Oh yeah. You may have three or four games in a in a year in the SWAC or in the Sun Belt, which I also worked in the Sun Belt. You may have a game where you have one of those players that are less than stellar when it comes to their attitude or coach, right? Oh yeah, well the coaches, but the coaches usually because they're always coaching for their job. When it comes to the college ranks, you may they may do a little hollering, screaming, but they they know that their job is on the line based on the way they act. And trust me, we have had coaches in leagues that were dismissed or fired, and you know because of the way they act and the way they treated their players and the way they acted towards us. How well describe the is it a year, a yearly evaluation for an official? How, right. you, know, how yeah. do you move up the ranks? You you're hired, yes, based on each season. So you you're not hired this year. You don't sign a contract. As I said, we uh, we're independent contractors, but it's just on a season to season basis. So you're not guaranteed to be on the staff the next season. Well. What we do is, as I just came back last weekend, I was in Indianapolis um, for a clinic, which for the supervisor or what he's known as is the coordinator of officials for the Sun Belt, the SEC, the American, and the Atlantic Sun. So I go there, work games, and I'm um, I'm basically assessed by someone that he has placed in charge of that particular court and you know they give an assessment of our of the work that we do during that game turning them he evaluates it and makes the decision if he gonna hire you for the following season and when do you get an answer about that for the upcoming season uh not until august <laughs> okay which is kind of treacherous for for when you're trying to get hired because it's just a long wait but they, what happens is the last two weekends, which was the previous weekend, I was at the SWAT camp doing the same thing. But the past two weekends were been the live periods for college coaches to be able to go out and watch players that they, they are recruiting. Right. So what happens is if those these camps are held in April, although decisions are not made and, and finalized until August. Now they have another live period in July which other camps will be going on, you know, and uh, some people choose to go to those camps. Well, I kind of rather go to this and early get it out the way that kind of don't, if what it does is make me not have to dredge over going to camp the entire summer. And it also extends the fact that you got to work out and mentally get yourself ready for the next four months or three months all the way to the end of July. Well, now I went to camp and you still kind of, Fresh off the season, so that because if you don't, it's any like any other uh, profession, so to speak. If you take a long layoff from it, you get rusty. You know, it's just like a jump shot. It's mm-hmm. just like a 
hitting the baseball, which I know you love baseball. If you yeah, don't do that's it for a long true. time, <laughs> if you don't do it for a long time, you get rusty. So it just you, you, so the, the the camp being within a little over a month after the season, after my season end, in some couple of weeks, three or four weeks, then it just makes you know you're still in rhythm and you don't have to try to pick that up because the game's still going to be moving fast because these kids will be playing the whole time. They just won't be playing in front of college coaches. Sound like you've you've learned a, a lot in the last few years on on moving up the ranks in in the evaluation period. Uh, yeah, to say the least, I've learned um, first of all that fitness is the most important thing when it comes to this particular job because as as they say, you have to pass the eye test. Meaning, when you walk in the gym, you gotta when they look at you, they have to be able to say, oh, they look at you and say, well, this person here has the look that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, if if a person who doesn't have that look walks in the gym, he immediately basically gets pushed to the back of the line, back of the line, and has to prove himself on the court where they'll give the person who has the look they're looking for the benefit of the doubt before they even see them work. So, you know, it's that that's the number one thing. Well, the first thing, rather. And there's just some tricks of the trade that you have to learn, you know, you have to deal with coaches that, like, for instance, last weekend we worked at Nike camp, and those coaches are very, very high-strung because, as we found out, they're playing for a pretty penny at the end of the season. Right. Oh, yeah. And so they take this to the level of every single possession matters because there's a lot of money that could possibly come to them at the end of the season. So they have to. So they coach as if they feel Jackson, or they Mike D'Antoni, or they Greg Popovich. When they basically, they literally not even high school coaches certified by you know a high school system. As an official, describe. Okay, well, I remember one question I wanted. Are these at the evaluation official camps? Are they two-person crews, three-person crews? Oh, no, yeah, no, we only work three-person crews. Uh, two-person is the only time you see two-person is in a sub-varsity game, uh, which is, like I said before, is junior varsity and below. Uh, but we don't work three-person crews, especially here in Texas, as in boys, you know, in anything. And especially if we're – when we work a college camp and we do – we you know, we're – we're basically auditioning and interviewing for a college job. We work three man crews at all times. Has there been? Have you been a part of any uh, four person crews? I know that's been discussed every so often. Yeah, well, this had to be maybe four summers ago. I went to a camp that was uh, being run by uh, some NBA officials. One of them, which is Derek Stafford, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know who he is. Well, and it was in Atlanta. And also, Sean Wright was one of the NBA officials that was, you know, running the camp. And we experimented with the four-man crew, yes. It's a whole lot different uh, because there's a lot of people on the court right. at one time. <laughs> Meaning, you know, that's 14 people on the court. And and where we were, it was a uh, high school court. So, you know, sometimes they high school court is not a, you know, 94 by 50. So it seemed, you know, crowded on the court. But the system was just 
you know, it was very, very similar to what we do now. The only difference was that I distinctly remember is that the lead official calls all out of bounds, and the lead is the one that's on the baseline. Well, you have two leads, and the lead would call all out of bounds plays on his side. That's the one thing I distinctly remember that was different. Everything else was really almost the same, you know. But like I said, it was crowded, so we didn't get the full effect of what, how effective it would be. And like I said, that had to be at least four, four summers ago. Is is there any? Have you heard any feedback that that's going to be the wave of the future on the four four person cruise? I heard it was, but I, you know, I really understood it to become more prevalent faster than the four years that, and we really haven't seen it just like pop up on the scene to to the extent that they made it out to be mm-hmm. when we ran it. That was in 2014. So I don't know, maybe this summer, and, you know, they have experimented with it in the D-League, but, again, it has not been the the loud cry and loud cry for it, you know, since then. So I don't see it coming in within the next, say, three to four years. I don't see it, you know, being on the NBA level, with, you know. And the college level, I haven't heard any any talk about it. Right, that's true. Only on a professional level. Yeah. In your years as an official, how or or has the talent level improved or gone backwards? Um, as far as the talent level, which the the guys that we saw last weekend, uh, which you hear uh, someone that's associated with the camp say, "Well, we have eighty-five of." the top 100 in the country here, and you say, okay, well, obviously the person who's head running the camp is going give us, to give us, give us that kind of feedback. Well, when I got out on the court, I agree with him because that talent level, those kids were huge. They walked from all over the country. You know, it was the EYBL Nike mm-hmm. uh, Youth Elite Summer League. Well, those kids were huge, and they were talented. So what I would say – from the high school level to the college level, the, the talent has gotten better. The kids are certainly growing in size to where they make <laughs> they make the court look too small for them. When you see, you know, three and four, six seven to six nine guys on one team against three or four six seven to six nine guys on another team on a court that, like I said, is kind of condensed because the high school court in a facility with seven courts or eight courts. So the talent level to me has certainly gotten better. We don't absolutely see it because there's so many Division One schools around the country. There's so many kids. Just like two weeks ago, in, if you can imagine, in Dallas, there, were the, there was the Nike camp, the Under Armour camp, and the Adidas camp all in that area at one time two weeks ago. So it's just and for that, to, for those to be successful, they have to have the talent level that would be conducive to, you know, <laughs> paying out all that money to all those teams to fly them around the country. Right. Appreciate that, man. That's some good info there. I'm gonna shift gears on you now, and and uh, we're gonna talk. Well, what you want first, Rockets or U of H? Um, we can go U of H first because the Rockets. Uh, 
<laughs> the rock is still fresh on my brain. All right, uh, let's, let's 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 do U of H. And like I said, you know, both of us are alums, so this may be this will be a very biased conversation. Um, <clears throat> what are your thoughts on how the season ended for Coach Sampson's squad? Do I really have to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was one of those games to where I felt I was very proud to say the University of Houston basketball team represents where I went to school and where I'm from because I'm a proud Houstonian. Mm-hmm. And the way that ended, and I'll give you a quick story, is a, uh, a group message of officials that are live in Houston that I'm close with, that I train with. And one of them said with probably 10 seconds left when Devin was shooting that second set of free throws, oh, I'm so happy to see Texas Tech and U of H and A&M all three Texas teams going to the Sweet 16. I said, you obviously not from Houston. <laughs> you cannot count this yet. And what, 3.5 seconds later, however long was was left when that guy inbounded that ball? Yeah. And I, she, she, she immediately takes back and said, I'm so sorry. I said, <laughs> I told you. <laughs> so yeah. I would say it was heartbreaking, but I'm very proud of the way they played throughout the season. I mean, to go undefeated at home – via Texas Southern home court, which I got word from reliable sources that Texas Southern did an outstanding job in the way they treated them, welcoming Mm -hmm. welcoming U of H and everything. They gave countless kudos to Texas Southern, and I'm happy to see that just based on the fact that that's a good thing to hear. You know, they went undefeated at home. That that was the first time they did that, I want to say, since Akeem was here, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. If not longer, you know, they won the game. Now, I also thought after when Michigan hit that shot is that, well, we got lucky because San Diego State also had a shot to beat them, and he just happened to miss it. Right, that's true. San Diego State shot was even an easier shot than the one the guy from Michigan hit. So, you know, but the, the season was an outstanding season and a stepping stone, especially going into the to the Timber Fatita Center next season. So very proud of him. It was heartbreaking. And I saw a coach last weekend and the weekend before and a couple of coaches on the staff, and I told each one of them, I'm still heartbroken by that shot. And they <laughs> said, we are too. <laughs> yeah, I think I think most, can't say all, but I think most folks, most Cougars are still disappointed, at this, especially when you see how far Michigan advanced in the tournament. But right. one, one and done, and that's, that's how it goes. So now the opposite of the one and done is now you're in the NBA playoffs and it's a good thing it, it's not one and done based on the Rockets' most recent game when their defense took us took a nap. So uh what are you, what are your thoughts on this? One and done they'd already beat them at least they won game one. Well you, you look at that too. Yeah, Toronto yeah. can't say that. That's true. That is very true. In Toronto that's that talk about a team that's got a point in their head. They just they, they can't beat LeBron. I mean, they're so hyped to try to beat LeBron that they end up hurting themselves and put too much pressure on themselves to try to beat LeBron. 
But Rockets defense, what happened to it, in your opinion, in game two? Um, I saw them do what OKC did when it came to a particular player, and that was Joe Ingles. And at some point when he has a, he's only missed two three-pointers, and this was in the first half he missed those two. He didn't miss any in the second half. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you cannot continue to leave him open. And that that was one. Because he did the same thing to OKC, and that's why they at home. You know, you the, the Rockets defensively came out yesterday, and I want to say he had maybe seven. I know he had 19 in the first half, but I want to say he had seven or, or eight of the first 12 points that they scored. You know, and that, and because you kind of just, as as and I'm gonna use hard word that I heard on your on your Instagram last night. We came out lackadaisical. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? You know, and I all I, and I, as I told uh, my friends, I, it was 93 percent of the players' responsibility for last night. The other seven percent goes to the coaches because for not having them ready or for not calling timeout when they clearly see that they have come out sluggish lackadaisical, and I know, you know, you've seen this about all the basketball you've watched over the years. If the starters are playing, you know, half-ass, half so to speak, yep. and the coach pulls all five of them out, sit them on the bench, say, obviously, y'all don't want to play. Let me get five people here who want to play. And then, then you look at them, maybe two or three minutes later, and say, okay, are y'all ready? Because even if he done that, they still would could have been down nineteen. <laughs> they you had the you had most of the start. You read with your regular rotation of taking Chris Paul out at the you know six seven minute mark, whatever he does, and they still were down nineteen. So you could have just made a a mass substitution, which in the NBA, if I, most don't know the rules, but don't care. But you're going to take four out at one time. You can't take all five out. Right. But you get my pitch. Right. <laughs> you get the pitch. So I think in the other. The other, like the other part of the seven percent, was three calls in that game that were critical, but they were, you know, they weren't, they weren't game deciding, but they were critical. The the call where Scott Foster had uh, uh, Gobert pushing down hard, and then they said, and then what we call a primary. Well, Benny Adams came out of his primary; he had no business looking at that. And that is that is. Is absolutely not what happened. Rudy Gobert literally pushed hard. He didn't even have to flop on that play. Okay. The other play was the uh, when Donovan Mitchell got his fourth foul, and then he he bellied up and almost tripped Harden. Right. Maybe ten seconds later, yet they didn't call the foul because they didn't want to give him his fifth foul right there. Well, you can't not call that foul there just because that's his fifth. He right. fouled him. Right. Agreed. Because if Harden loses the ball, I'm pretty sure they would have come up with a foul. If Harden goes to the ground, I'm pretty sure they would have come up with a foul. But he he gained his composure, but then they end up with a shot clock violation. And like I said, that's two of the plays that I think, and there was another one which I can't remember right now, but it's neither here nor there because the game is over. But that's why I said 93% of the, is, is the players, the other 7%. Is the coaching staff and the few critical calls that the official didn't make or did make, <laughs> and, and gonna lead me into a couple of things. 
one, I've already, right before we spoke, I've uploaded some of their comments on my Instagram from today's before practice session. And it was interesting. And I, you know, let me say it, I got to plug my own stuff for the listeners. You know, it's Instagram, I'm Houston Round Bar View at Instagram. So check them out. I got one from Coach Antoni, Chris Paul, PJ Tucker, and Luke Babute on there. And if anyone had heard Luke's comments from Tuesday prior to game two, Luke told the media at practice how much he respects Utah head coach Quinn Snyder for Snyder's ability to make adjustments from game to game as well as within the game. It was because Luke based everything on playing with the Clippers last year versus the Jazz, and that series went seven games. So Luke saw firsthand the adjustments that Coach Snyder made game to game and within the game. So it was as if Luke was preparing everybody what was going to happen in game two. They're going to make adjustments, and we got to deal with them. So it's going to be a good game, competitive game. It won't be like game one. It was as if his teammates, whatever, Luke, <laughs> whatever, we're not, we're not, not yeah, because that first half, they looked so confused on defense in transition, in half court, like who has who, they didn't know who they were guarding. This is what? Game 90, roughly, of the season, kind of regular season in the playoffs, game 89. You shouldn't have that kind of problem. Now, if a team makes shots against good defense, you know, that's the NBA. Right. But if you're giving up open shot after open shot because you're confused about who you have, that's a problem. Agreed. And I add to that, which, you know, everybody kind of, is looking ahead, what do you think going to happen if you get past the Jazz and you get to go to State? Because that's all they do Right. is pass the ball until they cut and they, they drive and kick until they get a wide-open shot. They rarely take four shots or shots with hands in their face or four shots with hands in their face. All kinds, They take wide-open shots. They run plays and kicks and – and and fight against ISO ball to get wide open shots. So if you collapse against, you know, the Jazz, which have way less shot making ability than the Warriors, then you're looking to get swept if you get past the Jazz. Yeah. Now, but again, I agree with you that that's really. I mean, I didn't. I I, I I'm sorry to. I have to admit, I didn't see that part of what Luke said on Tuesday, but like I would have I would have listened to him based on the fact like I said, he played against the Clippers he played with the Clippers last year against the Jazz seven games and they lost that series. And this and this is without Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> you know Donovan Mitchell is very good, but when you leave a man, like I said, he did the same thing. You go back and look at his stat sheet against OKC, Joe Ingles Hit those shots. Joe Ingles wants those shots. Another thing Joe Ingles does is he agitates. Mm-hmm. And he got Paul George last week, and he got Chris Paul last night. And as I told someone else, you have to be smarter than Joe Ingles because if Joe Ingles gets a technical, if Joe Ingles gets a technical, he's okay with it. He's because 
if y'all get a double technical and y'all both get ejected, what team is more affected by that ejection? Is <laughs> is it the Jazz because they lose Joe Ingles, or is it the Rockets because they lose Chris Paul? You also have to think about the fact that just as they as the term has been used, human nature sets in. You're not as aggressive on defense or on offense, knowing you can't afford to get a technical foul because you may get ejected. Right. So that's still in the back of your mind, no matter how much you will. And, and I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves, just like I, I'm, I'm sure you saw, remember the foul that Chris Paul got last night, and he kind of looked at Tony Brothers and he spent the ball, and Tony Brothers was looking like he was about to give him a technical end. Mm-hmm. Now, this was before him and Eagles got into it, but, those kind of little things you have to you got to remember to take out of your game because you got a technical argument with Joe Ingles, which is pointless anyway. You know, so those little things like that, you know, are things that they have to be smart enough not to allow to affect them when they get to Utah. As we've heard the stories over the last thirty years as Houstonians about what happens when you go to Utah. We know what's going to happen. Yep. Right? And then today we see the, the story come out or the, in the video with Harden slapping the phone, the guy, and the guy's calling him a flopper. So if he in Houston and he can affect you, what is your mental state when you get to Utah, you know, knowing that? And I even made the joke to one of my friends, man, that's what Tariq Black for. You don't do that. You let Tariq Black handle that part. Let him have to deal with the with whatever the repercussions are in the media, it's hard black move that dude, hit that dude's phone. And as I said, too, he didn't hit his phone that hard. He never dropped it. And we both know Harden got huge hands, so he didn't hit the man's phone that hard. And, I mean, you, you're bringing up great points, and we'll see because as people who watched the OKC Jazz series and heard Russell Westbrook, you know, complain or comment, make his opinion known about Utah Jazz fans in Utah. Chris Paul and James Harden, Gerald Green, Trevor Reza, P.J. Tucker. Y'all can't worry about that kind of stuff. You know, they're going to probably call you names that you ain't heard in years. Right. They're going to call you everything except for child of God and they Mormons. Yeah, to get you under your skin because they want to win that bad, and they don't worry about the repercussions because you're basically saying words, and they all saying it. So who gonna tell on who? Yeah, you know it's different when you in Houston and and one person saying it. So you might say, well, that was that was him because you're the only one wearing a Utah Jazz shirt. But if it's a whole a whole stadium of eighteen thousand of them, ain't nobody gonna tell. So. And you just named the, 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 what, six critical players that, that have to, or five critical players that we are, that we both know have to keep their head in this type of situation. Harden is number one. And now I will say I expect him to dominate the next three games just based on the fact, especially tomorrow, based on the fact that there's no way he can come back here down 3-1, okay? And it's, it, it just mentally, physically, whatever you, everything you've done this season, you can't give it all away 
in Utah the next two days or next three days. So I expect him to dominate the ball and not come out lackadaisical and not come out passive. He will be aggressive, just like he did, which was kind of surprising, what he did to Donovan Mitchell in that second half and the end of the first half when he got that third and fourth foul, mm-hmm. he went to the basket on him, which he should have. Right. That's something that's something that he will take jump shots, and we know that over the past three seasons when it got late, he would settle for that long jump shot, and we and most of people watching are clamoring and in the media. Why didn't he go to the basket? And that's what he did last night, but that's what he's going to have to do in order to, to first of all, shut this team up, second of all, he gonna have to in order for them to win, set the to fans up. I'm sorry, and to win this to win these next two games. So you are being positive, and not the gloom and doom Houstonian that both of us know very well. That you know, some Rocket fans are have already said on Twitter, "Oh, it's over. We're going to Utah. We already lost last night. We're gonna to go to Utah and lose twice. Call me in trouble." <laughs> you know. It's, here it is again. It's already already down the toilet. Calm well, down. That's the, Houston, that's the Houston in them, and I mean, sometimes you just kind of know that we from Houston. I mean, we were the same way last year in game when when the Yankees came back here, and the Astros are down three two, and everybody. Oh, you know, I remember. You remember? I know you remember because you love baseball so much. <laughs> hang on every pitch. Well, right. That's that's a no. Yeah. Yeah. But the same thing last year happened when it was 3-2 Yankees and the Astros had played horribly, you know, and I ain't going to lie, last year my mind said, well, this is over, ain't nothing we can do, you know, because the Houston was in me and they had played so bad. But now this year, with the, with the, with the, dif- with the differences, with the differences with the, with the Rockets is, this team has been too good for too long throughout this season. This team has not had the lulls that we've seen in team Rockets teams over the year. I mean, over the years, okay? So that's the only positive, where my positive outlook comes from for them, you know, is that, and, and, uh, and I've heard people say, oh, well, it go, they go as hard and go. But this season hasn't been go as hard and go as extreme as it has in the past because game two against Minnesota, Harden didn't play well, and CP3 hit, what, 32 or 28, whatever, and they won by 20. Mm-hmm. So it's possible. But you have to – it starts on the defensive end, and we, we both know that. And I think tomorrow night, after a day of getting their heads straight, that they will come out and play a better game. Because as horrible as they played yesterday, they were only a few plays away because P.J. Tucker missed with two or three wide-open threes. Yep. You got five points from Tucker and five points from Ariza. Well, if you do that, you're not going to win a whole bunch of nights. So, to me, to me that that they're going to come out the defensive on the defensive end be a lot better. And I just don't see Utah hitting – 50% of their shots and going in, what, 46% from three, and the Rockets only hitting 29% from three and hitting, what, 36% of their shots. I don't see that happening. I don't see it happening tomorrow. I don't see it happening four times in this series, and that's what it would take for Utah to win the series. Um, 
And the team, we talking about a team who hasn't lost two games in a row since January. Yeah. That's not, to me, that's more than just on accident, as I told some of my close friends. They, this is not an accident. This team has been good all season. But you also have to respect Utah going 22-6 and six since the trade deadline when they traded half their team like they was giving the season away. The only team that was better than them record-wise was the Rockets. Right. Very true. And, and I'll say this to just add to it and we'll wrap it up with one more question I got for you. The only team all year that I believe could beat the Rockets is the Warriors. Rockets aren't playing the Warriors this round. Rockets playing Utah. So Rockets will win this series. If it takes seven games, whatever. They'll win this series and then go play the Warriors. And then I still believe we'll flip it around then. I don't believe anybody can beat the Warriors four times. So that includes the Rockets. But they will get to that point, get to the conference finals, and then we'll see what happens. As an official, how do you watch NBA games? Do you watch it as an official? Do you look at what the other referees are doing on the floor, positioning and calls they make, or fan, media? How do you watch games? Now, you just brought up, you just put my whole life cycle out there when you said this. Yeah. Official, media, fan, because I'm all three at one time. But the official in me is always watching the game on that level. When I watch the Rockets, okay, mm-hmm. and it, it's a different mindset because I've covered them, right, and because I'm from Houston. So I watch the Rockets and the officials in somewhat of a different way, but I, the type of person I am when it comes to the officials, is I want the game officiated correctly because I don't want anyone to come back and say the officials cost them the game, whoever it is. I always feel, because when I say feel for, I feel for an official who makes a mistake or who doesn't get something correct because no one goes out to officiate a game with the mindset of I'm going to screw this up on purpose. They don't go out and try to intentionally hurt a team or a person, a player, anything. So it always hurts me to see when an official makes a mistake or misses a call, you know. So I watch the game from the official standpoint at all times, right? Then being in the media, I think that's what has got my fandom for all sports to come down a little and to take a different perspective of it like when it came to the Astros or when it comes to the Texans, you know, my mindset is always I, I kind of i am reserved, whereas I used to, I, I, at one point, I may because I got older, but, but I used to be real high strung. Well, now, because, you know, we can't sit in the press box and cheer, I just kind of watch the game. If I'm at home, I may clap a little for one player or another, but it's never overzealous. <laughs> that part of me is gone. <laughs> because I've been always watching as a media member who's an official. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that but when I watch the Rockets this weekend, I, I always I'm always first watching them as an official because I want to make sure everything is called correctly. Because believe it or not, which 
a friend of mine has called and, and or texted me and asked me what you think about this call or that call. If something goes awry, I'm going to get phone calls about what do you think about that from everybody. Right. Not just media friends, but from from my family, friends, everybody. Hey, what happened right here? Uh, so I always want the officials to get everything as close as correct as possible just for their well-being, for their mindset, because I know when I go out there, I want all my, I want to get everything right. And the thing is, every time the whistle blows, half of the people watching are going to be upset with you. But you still want to get it right. Very true. You on point as as usual. All right, my man. I try, I try man. <laughs> thanks for taking time to uh, to finally get this done. You know, you you've been pestering me to in a good way to finally make this happen so we finally got it together and we'll we'll do it again in the in the future no doubt um kj kevin joseph oh well let me ask you this one last thing do you have an idea of how long it would take you to uh be an official on the collegiate level before you get a call to the NBA D League or an ultimate call to the NBA? Well, you got to go through the D League. So, what? So you saying me or you saying a person? You, that's you, out? me. Um, I, I. What, what you can, what, what I would have to do is, you first you got to get called or you got to get accepted into the D League. So then they have, they, you know, they they made some changes, hired some new people. So for me. It would be in a, would have to be within the next two to three years, based on the fact that, I mean, I'm not as young as I was ten years ago. I'm ten years older than I was ten years ago. So, and <laughs> that's an old man there. saying right there, man. Yeah, and so, and the the shift is not more of just of a young shift, but they also they they they're going to a, a, a mindset or a phase of getting say 10, 15 to 20 years out of official, not 40, like, you know, in the past. So for me, it would have to be within the next three years. And then from there, and in the next three years, I, I wouldn't be 25 anymore. So I'm, I'm almost to the point to where the NBA is now no longer, you know, a possibility just because of my age. Mm-hmm. And now, for instance, which I have, which I, let me add this in. Someone coming in, say a guy comes out of college, he's 22 years old, right? And then you've been officiating high school ball, you get you into college, uh, start doing college for, say, two to three years in a small college, get you in D1. We could get you in the NBA by the time you're 27, 28 years old. You know? Wow. So, yeah. Which they have some guys in there now that's under 30. You know, so it's it's a possibility because some could be fast tracked, but it's all from where you root. It's all how 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 you progress and how well you you are able to grasp what the what the what the game is doing as you learn to officiate. Well, good luck to you, my man, and I will see you at the next whenever game or whatever. Five. We guaranteed to have one of them no matter what. So yep, so game five it is Tuesday, seven o'clock tip. See if Rockets will uh 
Mm, I want to catch Wayne say they're gonna win both games in Utah, but uh, they will not be down three one when they come when they're playing game five. So I have one, I do have one question for you. Yes, sir. What is your mindset, or or what is your? How do you? What do you think about the the playoff schedule? And for instance, there being one game last night. On Tuesday, you said it's already said at seven o'clock too for the Rockets, so that means it's only one game that night. How do you think they? I mean, what do you think about the way they do this second round schedule? Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Now, if the uh, Pelicans win Game Three or Four, they'll Game Five will be in Oakland, and that'll be the nine thirty start on Tuesday. Okay. So that's the two games set there. I don't know, you know, why, like Monday, there was only one game on in the playoffs. Right. Why some games, some days you have one schedule, some games you have three. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. Raptors and Cavs playing at 5 o'clock for game two. Right. Central time, of course. You got to get in TV, I understand, but just schedule two games each day or each night. And we'll keep it going. <laughs> I, don't I mean, we know neither, like you said, one of the games, you know, the game is started at 5 o'clock Central. But what makes zero sense to that is that the is that you're never going to have an East game starting at 8 o'clock because it's on East Coast time. So it's never going to start at 8.30, you know. So yeah. that's what, why wouldn't it have, why wouldn't they both be on the same schedule? It's like, it's like, I, I don't. I, I, you're getting all the TV that you want, so I don't understand what, what the concept is. I just want to ask you what you thought. When it's the first round, you might have a little bit different because you have so many games. But then when you start chopping teams by eight, and I mean by four every every bit, every round, you, you, your TV time gonna go down. Obviously. So there's got to be a reason for it. I don't know if it's because of hockey. Maybe it's because of hockey in some of the arenas too. Oh yeah, you you're a big hockey fan too, right? Uh, more than baseball. <laughs> Hockey playoffs is exciting. It is. No, no question, man. No, it ain't no just question. As long, tell, just as long as you don't tell me that you're more of a soccer fan than baseball, then we cool. I will watch soccer before I watch baseball. Oh, man. See that? You know what that did to you? You didn't get to enjoy a World Series championship last November 1st like I did. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> Man, I surely enjoy it. Like I said, brother, I'm glad we finally got to catch up. My, uh, You know, when that schedule allowed me to and allowed you to. So I enjoyed the admission, man. Thank you. Thank you, my man. And, and I'll um, post it. You can share it with your people and all that good stuff. Like I said, we'll do it again. And, and maybe we'll be able to do it on a consistent basis and have uh, what do you used to have be a part of back back in the day. Uh, Cougar Night, Cougar Night. What was it called, man? Cougar Tonight, man. Cougar Tonight, Cougar Tonight. So yeah, come we, on, man. We might, we might get do that again, and you know, with a different flavor to it. Cause yeah, I'll be a part right, of. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm always with you, man. You know, you, 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 you. The, to me, you're the number one basketball man in the town. You gonna have all, you gonna have all interviews, and always willing to ask the tough questions when need be. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. And uh, like I said, we'll, I'll see you Tuesday.
All right, bro. Have a great one. Thank you. You too. Take care. All right.